Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. The mission of Vows to Keep is to help couples develop a biblically healthy marriage through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. They desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now, here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. We're so glad you've joined us today for Vows to Keep Radio. Today's show is going to be a unique one. Now, normally we're talking to those of you who are married, but today we're going to be talking to those of you who someday want to be married. Maybe you're married, but you know someone who isn't yet. After hearing today's show, if you want to share it, you can always go to our website and share that link with someone. So think about this for a minute. If you're not married, your husband or wife is probably already on the earth, right? They might be sitting in the same room as you right now. They might be someone who's in a totally different state, but they're a real person. They're making real life decisions. They're doing things today that are shaping things that ultimately could affect you in the future. If you're a young lady right now, I want you to think about what your future husband is doing right at this very moment in life. Maybe he's in college. Maybe he is at work today. Maybe he's going out and getting his first car right now. You might not know what his name is. You might not know what his physical features are like or how your life with him is going to look. But I want you to try to picture yourself standing next to this faceless person in front of the church, in front of all your friends and family. You know, you've got the white gown on and the flowers are beautiful and you guys are saying your I do's to one another. That might feel strange to do, but I think it's a good thing to look a little ways down the road sometimes. It gives us perspective right now and helps us to be prepared for our relationship to come. Back in the day when I didn't have Mrs. Tracy Sellers in my life, I wrote a letter to her. And it was actually a letter that I wrote to her a full four years before I even had met her. I did something similar. I didn't write David a letter, but I did make a list of the qualities that I wanted to have in a husband. And at the top of the list, I put a man after God's own heart. Now, God must have been listening that day because that's exactly what David's name means. We start to think about our future spouse and you know what? We have this lovely little scene in our minds. If, if you're anything like me, I was picturing what this person was going to be like in my life. I thought about what they physically would look like. I thought about what their personality would be like, but ultimately it was something that brought me a lot of warm, fuzzy feelings. Well, you have not necessarily met that person yet. So let's keep that faceless person in your mind. As I tell you this, Imagine if I said that you had a one in two chance of winning the lottery after you got married. You know what? You'd feel pretty good about that. You'd be like, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to go buy a lottery ticket right now. Well, let's talk about statistics because truth be told, when we think about statistics in marriage, what we usually consider is that age old statistic that gets thrown around that 50% of the marriages will end in divorce. In fact, if you were to ask many Christians, they would actually tell you that their understanding is that is the same for Christians and non-Christians. Well, guess what? That's not entirely true. And we're going to address that in a few minutes, but it's either you or the person sitting next to you. If that statistic is true, they're going to get divorced someday. And when it comes to marriage, man, I don't want just a 50-50 chance of making it. Those are odds that just don't seem worth going against. So let's go back to this lottery analogy. I've never bought a lottery ticket, but imagine for a second that I had. We go to the local store and we buy one for a buck or two or three. And 
As the odds would normally play out, I don't get rich. I might not lose any sleep over that. I've wasted a dollar or two. But when it comes to the marriage relationship, you're going to have an entire lifetime invested in this relationship. We do not obviously want to lose. Oh, those numbers aren't very encouraging. I think we just lost some of those smiles we had a few minutes ago and we were thinking about that person you might marry one day, all those warm and fuzzy feelings. So let's get some of those smiles back. See, this 50% failure rate of marriages is actually a lying statistic. There have been recent books and research done that disprove this theory. I've got three questions for you right now. Are you a Christian? Do you plan to remain faithful to your faith once you're married? And once you're married, will you still go to church each week, even if no one is making you? If you said yes to those three questions, we've got some great news. Your divorce rate is now 27% less than what people have told you it is. Now your odds of winning are three out of four. It's pretty good, but maybe not good enough. It's not good enough for me. So let's keep talking. There's lots of reasons for divorce today in our culture. People are selfish. People are sinful. People get divorced over the silliest and the most serious of reasons. But one of the main reasons people get divorced is because of adultery. 25% of married men and 15% of married women have an affair with someone outside their marriage. We can see how common affairs are in marriage, wrong but common. So let's level set here for just a second. What is an affair? Adultery is sex with someone outside of your marriage. Again, an affair is sex with someone you're not married to. But let's take it one step further by looking at Matthew chapter 5. You see, the Bible defines adultery in two different ways. Not just those physical relations with someone we're not married to, but also adultery of the heart. Let's listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 verses 27 and 28. He says, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Whoa, back up a minute. New rules from what society has been telling us. What Jesus is telling us here in Matthew chapter five is that yes, adultery can be committed in marriage, but it can also be committed when we're not even married. Where? Right here, right now, in our own hearts. So the application of this verse is going to seem really obvious to everyone who's married. For Tracy and I, this is like a duh moment, right? Of course you have to be faithful. But what about to the listener who's not married today? Guess what? What Jesus is saying in this verse is that this verse applies to you. What you may not consider, though, is that many biblical affairs start before we're even married. Let me give you a a little bit of an explanation. Now, if you're not married and you're having sex, it is adultery, but you're committing it against a person you haven't even met yet. If you look at your peers, or maybe you're looking at images online with lust in your heart, you're committing a premarital affair. There's even a caution here for some who might be sharing some of the deepest, darkest secrets of their heart with someone of the opposite sex. You know what? In a way, you are emotionally bonding yourself to that person. All of these things are affecting someone you haven't met yet. With your actions, 
Today, you can be faithful to your future spouse, or you know what? You can actually set back your relationship with the very person you will someday devote your whole life to. Now, I remember being 16 and then, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, 22, 23 years old and wondering, when am I going to meet this woman? I am so ready. But she wasn't here. And in my mind, it seemed like it was forever away. Now, I don't know what God's plan is for your marriage. I don't know how many years away that is. But guess what? God does. If we take a look at Psalms 139, we see that he already knows. Starting in verse 1, it says, Oh Lord, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down, when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. He knows you're listening to this radio program right now. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. See, he knows who you're going to marry, even though you don't. And I found myself in that same predicament. He sees that what you choose to do either now or in the near future, whether it's in your thoughts or actually in your actions, will greatly affect your future marriage. Now, listen. I don't want to just leave this at kind of the Sunday school lesson level, right? I don't want you just to have the canned response. Okay, David, I get it. I should probably remain pure. I want this to be personal and I want it to be challenging. Some of us are dealing with very real temptation. And some of us are the person who's going to be wounded by the decisions that someone else has made before they've even ever met me. We're we're dealing with our spouse's premarital affairs. You're listening to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. Vows to Keep wants to help. If you have a marriage question, please email questions at vowstokeep.com. Vows to Keep will respond to you via email and perhaps use it on the air. Now let's rejoin David and Tracy Sellers with the remainder of today's broadcast. If you have an opportunity to pull up the scripture on your cell phone right now, or maybe you're at home and you've got your Bible handy, we're going to turn to James chapter 1 verses 12 through 17. And this is going to be our focus scripture for today, but we're going to be taking it in chunks little by little. So we're going to start right now with James chapter 1, verse 12. In a lot of your Bibles, the first word is going to be blessed. My version says happy, and it reads like this. Happy is the man who doesn't give in and do wrong when he's tempted. And most people get married because they want to be happy. But let me tell you something. Our society has actually really smacked marriage around because we've painted the picture as though it's worthless. We've made it look like that there's no possible way to actually be happy in marriage. The sad thing is, is many people accept that because they're not happy, that they chose wrong. They've picked the wrong person. But let me tell you something. Being married to Tracy is absolutely amazing. She's exciting. She's generous. She's beautiful. She's submissive. She's wise. She's trustworthy. She's God's hands and feet in my life. She is a huge part of what makes me happy day in and day out. But let me tell you something. It's actually not her. It is her faithfulness to God, her creator, that makes it possible for the love that he has for me to come through her. The happiness that you're searching for depends on your obedience to God's word both during your marriage and actually a lot before your marriage. Many of us in this listening region come from a family or know a family who owns a farm 
or maybe you have one of those moms who plants a garden every spring, you know that if the farmer plants rotten seeds, nothing great is going to grow. But if he plants those really expensive soybeans, he can pretty much bet what he's going to get come fall. You see, no matter how we handle our pre-married life, whether good or bad, the Bible promises in Galatians 6 that we will reap what we sow. Galatians 6, picking up in verse 7, says, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. That statement alone is very powerful. Don't be misled. Don't think you're going to mock the justice that God has set up for us in his scriptures. It goes on to say, You will always harvest what you plant. And those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap the harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Farmers and gardeners all know that a crop is always determined by the kind of seed that's sown. And your life and my life is no different. What kind of seeds are you planting right now for your future? For me, my first chance to plant some rotten seeds for my future came when I was a freshman in college, when I had a girlfriend who was not a Christian, and she offered to have sex with me. Now, God protected me that night, and my purity was saved for Tracy. But let me tell you, all of my college buddies mocked me. But what did we just read in Galatians 6? Don't be misled. You can't mock the justice of God. You're going to always harvest what you plant. And those were the truths that I was hanging on to at that time. This verse that we just read in James 1 says that we'll be happy when we don't give in to temptation, but the world all around us would say differently. It would say that sex only in marriage is outdated, and that's where the problem is. It either tells you to throw away the truth in the Bible and just do what you want, or it tells you that the sexual culture around us is too strong to stand against. You just can't fight it, so you might as well give in. The world has so many things to say about sex and marriage. It says, Get all you can before you tie the knot, because after that, you're not going to get anything that you want. The world would tell you to offer yourself to the first person who wants you sexually, to take what you can get while it's within reach. We could go through a whole list of different temptations that are facing us. We all have a long list. So what do we do with them? Well, let's continue to read in James chapter 1. We're going to read verses 13 through 15. It says, When tempted, no one should say that God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. I don't know if you noticed as I read those verses, but there's really a progression of stages here, four stages to be exact. First, there's the temptation stage. Then there's that desire that gets conceived within us. It starts to grow and it gives birth to sin. And when that sin is full grown, it brings forth death. What stage might you be at? Maybe you know that you are at a temptation stage and you're saying to yourself, okay, I realize this is where I'm at, but what am I going to do about that? I want to tell you there is hope and there is help. And now is the time to address these issues before they are fully conceived within you. The Bible says we have an advocate. Who is that advocate? It's the Holy Spirit, a helper in those times where we feel tempted. And God even goes so far to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that when you're tempted, he's going to give you a way out so you can stand up under it. 
You know what? Tracy and I are both living proof that this verse is true. He helped us to escape the temptations, and because of that, on our wedding night, we were able to give each other the gift of our virginity. So what way out is he providing you? I think it has to start with taking a stand. And that stand has to be for your purity, but it can't end there. That stand has to be for a spouse that you don't even know yet. That scripture that David just talked about in 1 Corinthians 10, I think really shows us how God feels about us and it shows us his character. How amazing is it that God would care so much about us, that he would want the best for us so much so that he would be willing to come into our little moments and help us with just what we need at just the moment we need it. He is amazing. Well, now we're going to start talking about stage two. Maybe you've heard the verse in 2 Corinthians 10 that tells us to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. You see, we're all going to be tempted, but it's what we're going to do with those thoughts that counts. Will we let them lurk? Will we take them captive and look for the way out? If we don't, that's when we move into stage two where the desire is conceived within us. Now, in order for something to be conceived, there has to be consent. There's typically an action, not necessarily physical at this point, maybe. It could just be in your mind and in your heart, a place where only you think you're aware of. And that's when we go back to those thoughts. We stay there mentally. We begin feeding the temptation and it begins to grow. When you marinate in those desires, it's not long before, ta-da, sin is here, fully present. This is that third stage we read about in James. At first, it might seem like just one of those little itty-bitty sins, right? Something that's not too big, something that's small enough that I can handle, I can manage this. The thing about sin, though, is new sin always seems manageable. Often in our minds, it seems trivial. It can almost even feel good enough that we convince ourselves that, we can manage this, that God will get all the rest of me. But this one little piece, I'm just going to keep that for myself. But sin never stays small. Let me give you a repeating example we've seen over and over again. A couple comes to vows to keep, and they've just started dating. And both of them are Christians, and they want to do it right. Boy, I have to say, these are some of the smartest people I know. I am so excited when we find people who want to learn how to do it right before they've even gotten started. But in a handful of those cases, we come to eventually learn that this couple has chosen to move in together. Oftentimes, to try and seek vindication in that process, they'll get engaged. They then tell themselves that this is really something that's motivated out of financial need, but clearly it has really not a biblically-based reason. So the first lie that they're believing is that it's really more important to save money on rent than it is to save their future marriage. The second lie is maybe a little bit more specific than the first, and usually it goes something like this, that, hey, we're going to save money for that big wedding day that we always wanted. But in reality, what we find is that a year or a year and a half will go by, and all they've done is raise their standard of living. They literally consume every dollar they thought that they were going to save with more stuff and more activities. So they create a situation for themselves which makes resisting each other physically pretty much impossible. Well, then the third lie comes, and that's where they stop going to church because they are living in sin and they know it. So they've got people that are reaching out to them, trying to connect with them, but they have this terrible trouble in claiming to believe in God, claiming to adhere to the scriptures, and yet knowing in their own heart that they're feeling the convictions of the Holy Spirit about their situation. They stop going to church and they begin to isolate themselves. I bet you can guess what happens next. Inevitably, the woman becomes pregnant. 
This causes them to fall smack dab in the middle of where many Americans find themselves today. Statistically, even if this couple now ties the knot, they have a much higher probability of failure. Now, I'm not saying that I would wish that for them, but the metrics that we see out in the industry would tell us that this is true. So a sin of moving in together and not necessarily being sexually pure all in the name of saving money or rent is now full grown. It's giving birth not only to a child, but to marital demise. This scenario that David just talked about leads us to the last stage in James 1. When sin is full grown, it gives birth to death and it might be the death of your marriage. If you're in stage four, if you've realized that the temptation has grown to this point, you have a choice to make. Will you turn away from your sin and turn to God? Will you ask for his help and forgiveness? Those are two things that he always grants without hesitation. So what's the sin you're feeding? It could be that as a young woman, you're thinking about some guy that you like. She reaches out to him with a risky picture on social media. When you do that, you make a leap at a relationship, which you might try to defend to your family and friends as harmless or meaningless, but you know it's not. These are baby steps to a full-on run in the wrong direction. It could be a guy who's maybe never pulled up pornography on his own phone, but who's seen numerous pictures by looking over a friend's shoulder or not looking away when someone else indulges. Now you find yourself being a man who's lusting constantly and becoming entangled deeply in this sin. It's hard to evaluate our own lives though, isn't it? It's hard to see those baby steps for what they really are because we can so easily deceive ourselves. That's why we need daily time with God, a chance to ask him to look at our hearts and to make those corrections as needed. It takes great humility to pray like the psalmist did in Psalm 19, but would you be willing to pray a prayer like this? It says, Lord, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins and don't let them control me. Then I'll be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. Thankfully, no matter what stage you're in, as we walk through James chapter 1 today, Psalm 19 gives us an out, it gives us an answer. Now, if you don't have a relationship with God, these course corrections we're talking about are typically going to go uncorrected. I mean, this is a prayer that has to come from an open, honest heart. This has got to be a daily posture that we take before God coming before the Lord in that personal relationship to make sure that our temptations aren't just being conceived, that our desires aren't being fed. Now, if you're listening and you still don't think this applies to you, let me throw a few more statistics out for you. In 2010, only 5% of people entered marriage as a virgin. Boy, that means Satan has a target on every single unmarried person that I'm talking to today. But listen to this. If you are a virgin when you get married, your divorce statistic goes up to a 94% success rate. God's ways are clearly best. What compels us to be devoted to God? I think if you thought about it in short, it's because God is worthy. He's worthy of our following because his word and his principles are for our protection. I mean, they become a blessing for our marriage. We need to see his way as best. Let me ask you this question. What compels you to be devoted to a man or woman that you haven't even met yet? I hope it's because you know that that wife, when you finally do meet her, is going to be worthy. 
I hope it's because you know that that marriage that you will someday have is worth going the distance for. I hope it's because you know that the testimony from Jesus Christ proclaimed through your marriage relationship is worth it for the world to see. I hope that this has been an encouragement to you to stay the course, to manage your marriage today before it's even started in a way that would honor God and that will set you up for the long-term success you desire. You've been listening to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. Vows to Keep offers Christ-centered marriage resources for couples wishing to prepare, enrich, and renew their marriages. Have you ever struggled with God's sovereignty? If so, get a hold of my new book, romantic historical suspense called Roots Reawakened. Follow the story of a young woman's journey from anger at God to a renewed relationship with Him. This is the first book in the Roots Run Deep series. More details about the trilogy on our website, VowsToKeep.com. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.